Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again, thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. We always appreciate that. There's so much going on. We've got a lot of ground to cover again today. China buys more U.S. corn. We'll talk markets with Joe Camp with Comstock Comstock Investments. Uh, A lot of proposals out there. Uh, President Biden's Made in America executive order. We'll be taking a look at that. Some immigration issues being discussed, how that would affect ag labor. Talk about all that with Chuck Connor, who is the president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Also, we're getting closer to the confirmation hearings for Tom Vilsack to be the next Secretary of Agriculture. We'll get an update on that and more of what's going on in Congress and with the new administration from Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report a little bit later on in today's program. So as I said, we have a lot of ground to cover. But as we all make our way through this pandemic, uh, there are a lot of questions about when it is all over, and hopefully that's going to be soon. But as we continue to strive to get to that point, a lot of questions about what will be the long-term effects and impacts of COVID-19? What will get back to normal? What will not ever be the same, perhaps? What will be partially uh, back to the way it was before? All those kind of questions. Well, what about in the livestock sector? Don Close joins us now. He is Senior Animal Protein Analyst for Robo AgriFinance to look at the long-term impact of COVID-19 on the livestock industry. Don, thank you for joining us. I think this, as we look at all aspects of our lives and how COVID will have a lasting impact and and change things. Let's let's focus as you have on the livestock industry. What long term implications do you see ahead? Well, I think uh, I think there's two shorter term uh, issues that that need to be addressed. And the first one is just how long is it going to take to get uh, the vaccine in in enough arms to uh, to reach herd immunity, and and the slow start we've seen with that. Um, the 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 secondary thing is, short, you know, intermediate here. And when we look at the size of additional round round or rounds of stimulus money, short term, I think the disposable income of consumers will be very positive. Now, at some point in time, that music's going to stop, uh, and and that's when things will become uh, much more complicated. Uh, the the longer term effect uh, that that we're seeing and talking about is the expectations are that we will see a lasting effect of more meals at home, uh, and and we might see consumers as as their disposable income uh, is redirected towards buying gasoline to get to and from work as we see more lunches uh, out, outside the home. You might see consumers downgrade uh, what they're purchasing, but but still see more at retail grocery stores. And then uh, the other component of that is we just think that uh, to get full recovery of the, uh, the the restaurant sector, that's probably a year to two year long ordeal to get that uh, restaurant trade fully back to normal. What have we seen? What are the patterns as we've made this shift 
uh, restaurants not being open or not fully open, more people eating at home, ordering food, having it brought to their homes, all these new things, some of which had, was already started before the uh, pandemic, but the pandemic really just sped them up. Uh, what are we seeing about what they are eating uh, as far as the proteins are concerned? Are we seeing much of a shift there? It's actually to our experience to date is that, yes, we have, and it's been very positive. And I, and I talked earlier about distribution of disposable income but when we eliminated uh, as much gasoline usage as we eliminated uh, eating out as we eliminated uh, the need to, to constantly upgrade your the, the war, working wardrobe that enabled uh, increased consumers level of disposable income and they made the decision okay if I'm if I'm under house arrest, but I have cash on hand, I'm going to reward myself by eating better. So the demand we've seen, ongoing demand we've seen through throughout this year, demand on middle meats has been phenomenal. Beef demand in the aggregate has been exceptionally good. So that's, that's why I made the statement, as they start to be uh, charged with resuming some of these uh, traditional expenditures, they might they might downgrade a bit to uh, the, what proteins they're buying. Beef, especially, is usually tied to economic uh, levels, right? I mean, if people feel good about their economic situation, they tend to buy higher cuts of beef, and in tougher times, they they pull back away from that. So, uh, well, I'm gonna you, I'm gonna saying differ, is, I'm, I'm okay. gonna differ that just a little bit. Um, what we've seen, and yes, yes, there's there's certainly a, a component to to what you're saying, but but what we see is beef demand is actually very solid, but as as economic conditions contract, what we see is they're still buying beef. They just ratchet down the quality or beef cuts they're buying, and and right. the quantity of ground beef they're using, opposed to uh, the number of strips and ribeye. So I think the the beef demand by itself very solid, but variation within that range of cuts that are offered. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. I mean, if the economy pulls back, then they may go from steaks to hamburger, let's say. But I, yeah. I look at hamburger, look at hamburger fast food restaurants through this, and they, some, they're starting to open up now. But during this, when they were closed for in, inside dining, the lines to the drive-through were very long, and uh, now I realize they weren't. They may have buy, been buying something other than hamburgers. Maybe it was chicken or whatever it may be. But still, there obviously was that demand there. Now, whether or not they could serve as many just through a drive-through as they can when they have in-person seating, that's that's another issue. But obviously, that demand has stayed strong. Uh, if if there is is such a thing as a grand prize winner through this mess, uh, the quick serve restaurants have have been that slot. Uh, and, and we're seeing as they have their quarterly earnings reports come through for uh, multiple quarters now, uh, a lot of those quick-serve restaurants have actually seen an increase in sales because of that accessibility and that you're talking about. So the challenge for the livestock industry now is to see what these trends are going to be as we get to the end of this pandemic and move forward and then be able to meet those needs, right? Yes. Yes, they will. Yep, and that uh, may require some changes or ongoing 
uh, changes that we've already seen put in place. Don, interesting how, how this is all going to shake out. Thank you very much for your perspective. Appreciate it. You're more than welcome, Mike. Good talk with you. Don Close, he is Senior Animal Protein Analyst for Rabo AgriFinance. Well, China continues to buy. Word today, they've bought more U.S. corn. So a lot of excitement there. What does that mean going forward? We're, we've been talking with a lot of uh, market analysts in the last few days, and they're all talking about there's there are legs to this rally. I mean, the, 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 when you look at the stocks, uh, low stocks situation, and we look at this demand and the purchases by China, uh, some issues in South America points to this uh, rally continuing for a while. We'll see what our next guest has to say about that. Joe Camp with Comstock Investments. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Steve Sinsky joins us. He is the CEO of the American Soybean Association. Most of us, I'm sure, have no idea of how many different things USDA is responsible for, the complexity of the agency and of these positions, such as Deputy Secretary. Kind of give us an idea of how broad a scope that is. It really is. USDA touches almost everything that every American does whether it is the nutrition that is provided and the dietary guidelines that are developed, the food assistance mm-hmm. that's provided there, meat and poultry inspection, commodity grading, fruits, vegetables, as well as meat product and their marketing. And then, of course, farm safety net programs, our lending programs and the support for farmers. But then it continues on from there for rural communities, sewer and water loans, also going on, of course, to our conservation programs, and then the U.S. Forest Service. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. I can't get my computer to work. Let me help you with that. How'd you do that? I just got techie with Geeks On Site. Our geeks literally come on site. No need to stop what you're doing or block off time. We come to your home, office, or wherever you are. And we don't just fix whatever computer issues you might be having. We explain and teach you along the way so you can feel empowered and then help others at home or in your office. Better yet, don't have time for tech support to come to you? Let us remote into your desktop or laptop, and one of our geeks will instantly walk you through. We offer affordable prices on our remote services and IT support. You and those in your office will never have to wait hours to have your technical questions answered. Get your free computer diagnosis today with your very own geek. 
Get started now and we'll help you instantly. Call 866-967-3879. 866-967-3879. That's 866-967-3879. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So much going on with the markets. Uh, we want to continue to stay up on that and get thoughts on uh, this rally and uh, where we're going with it. Uh, Joe Camp joins us now, Director of Managed Programs for Comstock Investments. Joe, uh, China keeps on buying. Uh, now we have another here at the end of the month, uh, another corn purchase. A huge one, and it's been all week on that. Good morning, Mike. Yeah, it's just a surprise to see the volume here in exports to China coming after this big rally and knowing that it's because, in part, U.S. exporters are still the you know uh, least cost, uh, least supply around the world. Uh, currency terms help that with the weaker dollar, but also just short supply and, and record prices in Brazil and export restrictions, you know, uh, off crop cycle in the Black Sea region. So we, we've got some corn here on hand in the U.S., but it's in, in ownership, at least here in the U.S., and, and other countries want it. So what does that tell us about China? Um, we, it's always hard to read them anyway, hard to get information from them, and they've been making all these purchases uh, we know some of it on soybeans, especially because of the delay in the in the harvest uh, in the crop there in the South America. But does it speak more to their need there and what's going on? And does it indicate future purchases? You think? Yes, I think it's need based. Starting out with that, and it has been now for a year's time. It was helped that we had the Phase One trade deal in place that. In, in a way, gave Chinese um, officials some coverage to allow uh, purchasers to get back into the market and gobble up what are some insatiable needs, you know, and, and rising, of course, after the African swine fever issue. So a rising hog herd really creates a big need for soy protein on the soybean side. And you mentioned a delayed crop out of Brazil already, again, after the past year, you know, a favorable shift in currency terms. And so maybe, too, some goodwill for our new government administration from China in backing the rest of this phase one trade deal commitment um, timeline for this year. And then, two on corn, maybe more important, just to, just to say that that's absolutely a part of real needs, a replacement for what is, again, record high corn prices in China. And it also says, you know, back to the beginning of the question, what's it say about China? says that China does not have two-thirds of, of the world's um, ending stocks of corn on hand right now or, or what's currently you know on the balance sheet, right? 200 out of, say, 300 million tons beginning or ending stocks um, just doesn't quite add up. And we've uh, known that that number is suspect for some time, again, because of data issues. Um, but it's also something to the point of the question about future um, uh, purchases is going to come into play, I think, because we're going to continue to see strong demand at the same time. At the same time, when we see some possible revisions to our 
are uh, accounting for the supply that's on hand or not on hand in China. So it sounds like what we've been hearing from many others, you think there's a, there are legs to this rally, that it's going to go a while. How much remains to be seen. But, you know, historically, I mean, uh, we know that high prices usually tend to slow these things down, but we evidently are not to that point yet. We are in a way. In a way, we are in in you know regional areas, right, and, or sectors of the economy. We can talk a little bit about, of course, um, a, a margin pressured industry still in ethanol issues with consumption there and some competition with uh, the export sector. So they're really chewing it along, still not yet rationing because the rest of the world is in that position themselves, and so they're still bidding up uh, U.S. Uh, supply. But um, yeah, going forward, that's the adage. Uh, not only you know, on, uh, uh, vice versa, do uh, low prices become the cure for low prices because they sp- spur demand. Uh, that, that is true. That eventually we're going to get up to a point where uh, not only do, do some of the end users start to push back on what they can produce, um, but just timing-wise, we're going to move on into the next crop cycles and have uh, more on hand elsewhere around the world too talking with Joe Camp with Comstock Investments. Joe, how significant was China's recent purchase of ethanol? Very significant for it being a foreshadow of what could still come uh, because we know about China's plans to up their ethanol consumption and to put in mandates that wouldn't be uh, that uh, dissimilar to what we have in renewable fuel standards here in the U.S., consumption targets or blending targets of up to 20%. So this is the pathway for future purchases if this, if this initial uh, connection goes well and if, um, frankly, we have the support you know, from our own um, uh, government here and that's yet to be determined you know, how the treatment on ethanol and uh, production here in the U.S. is going to be handled with the new administration. But it's a positive sign that we were talking about that, that Chinese purchase. All right, so as as we look look to our growing season coming up, talked about this on our program yesterday that you know we we talked a lot about corn and soybean acres and you know are they going to be kind of even and are how much are they going to gain and we usually think about taking acres from other crops but if the prices are good for these other crops maybe farmers aren't going to switch those acres to corn and beans uh, how how do you see this playing out? That could be true, certainly down south. We've got a Comstock office in Arkansas with producers that are seeing cotton prices, um, you know, having been on, on a good trend upward. And we're looking at, um, you know, wheat acres having been up. So coming into the new row crop season, as you allude to, the big question is where do all these extra acres come from? Well, one we know is that they do come out of all of the prevent plant from the previous couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. And um, other than that, that's the next question is they probably just come between the two back and forth, corn and beans, so it's jockeying for position. We still believe the bias is towards soybeans in a bigger way this year, mostly because of the rotation here in recent years, part of that prevent plant storyline too, but heavy corn on corn, particularly in the ice states. So there's going to be extra soybeans, partly also in response to the better soybean price. Here recently, we still have that multiple, I think, just over two and a half to one, the new crop soybean futures to new crop corn. 
So we are looking for a little bit less corn and, and more soybeans, but that's going to be something the market starts to decide here is do we need to buy a little bit more corn acres? And then depending on where the balance sheet goes for soybeans, uh, does that need to be bid up even higher because now we're seeing more corn? It's, it's going to be an interesting mix, but acres going up, you know, weather allowing. So you got farmers who already, some of them may have some seller's remorse, wishing they'd held on longer, not have sold as soon as they did, even though the price was better than they thought it would be at, back at that time. Now wondering about making many new crop sales, or do they, if, if this rally does have legs, maybe they hang on and, and wait. What are you saying? That's the that's the idea, right? Is maybe it, it keeps going, or or maybe it, it, this is the end of it. And either way, the prices are are good and in a lot of ways profitable. And so those individual conversations where we see a farmer hasn't made any uh, you know sales yet, or is still uh, 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 has a lot of old crop left, we're saying pull the trigger, but still you know be hedged potentially. So for new crop sales, if you're making a first sale, we've talked about matching it up with some short-dated call options potentially or some re-ownership hedges that might still give you some protection on that early sale out to the summer when you know how your crop might look. But uh, on the contrary, the trend is still higher, so we're advocating general patience. So we're just saying make small sales and maybe re-own them, or if you're not going to make the sales, um, you can be still hedged by some put options or, or um, be somewhat positioned just to still expect what can be short-term volatility in these markets. And so it continues with, you know, our encouragement to plan for higher prices but still hedge for higher volatility. And real quick, for if you're on the other side, if you're buying, if you're looking, at, you know, for feed for the livestock producers, uh, as high as they are now, if they're looking to be higher, what do they do to protect themselves? That's right. So you could go forward into the deferred contracts and, and maybe uh, purchase, given the discount for some of those new crop contracts, if, if you can pencil out um, some early purchases, it, m it might be uh, the right time to do that. Um, in this market, you know, the puts uh, or the, the call options um, to be to extend coverage too far might be a little bit um, costly, but I think it's just incremental buying uh, here not to get too far ahead of ourselves, though, because, again, it can go either way. Joe, thanks a lot. Interesting times. We'll stay in touch. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Joe Camp, Director of Managed Programs for Comstock Investments. Lots going on, being proposed with immigration and also uh, executive orders from President Biden. We'll talk about it with Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture, conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry, the pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. You took the first step and quit smoking, but even former smokers may still be at risk for lung cancer. 
That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know about a new low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early. It takes only 60 seconds and could save your life. You took the first step, now take the next. Visit SaveByTheScan.org for a simple quiz to see if you're eligible and talk to your doctor about screening. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Demand continues to surge higher for U.S. corn with another new sale announced to China on Thursday. The sale of nearly 67 million bushels for 2020-2021 brings the total sold to China in the past three days to a whopping 147 million bushels. Add to that another 213,300 metric tons sold to a known. After two straight lower finishes, wheat appears to be riding on the short of corn up just modestly to begin Friday's trade. On the Board of Trade, Minneapolis spring wheat march trading five and a half cent higher at 625. The May contract up five and a fraction at 634. Looking at Kansas City wheat march up four and a half cent at 630 and a half cent. Chicago wheat march up seven cents at 654. For corn, March corn up nine and three quarters at 544 and a quarter. The May contract up eight and a fraction at 544 and a half cent. March soybeans Trading four and three quarters higher at 13.58. The May contract up four cents at 13.55 and a half cent. Cash cattle trade has been limited so far this week. That is expected to change today as packers will need to either open up their checkbooks or pay higher prices or go without. Hog futures are in position to find support if cash hog prices are no worse than steady. Looking at lean hog futures on the board of trade, the April contract up 20 cents at 76.52. The May contract up 32 at 80.85. For feeder cattle, March down 10 at 139.72. The April contract down 30 at 142.37. April live cattle up 40 at 123.10. The June contract up 35 cents at 119.17. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 227 points. The NASDAQ composite down 78. The S&P 500 down 24. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. President Biden has signed a lot of executive orders, and some have been more controversial than others. Uh, I would say the response has been mixed. Uh, 
we're hearing critics of these orders and and some saying hey there's some potential here one of them would be the made in america directive which could could lead to more u.s products being used in our school lunch program of course uh Got to get the school, all of them open and going again. But this could open up uh, some opportunities. And let's talk about that. We'll start there with Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, good to talk with you again. How would this help uh, U.S. agriculture if this goes through, if, if they back it up with action? Well, good to be with you, Mike. And, and you know, in this case, um, think about the U.S. government as a, as a very big buyer of U.S. Uh, agricultural commodities, and, and they do buy a lot for various feeding programs, you know, military installations, all these kinds of things. And uh, as you would expect, Congress has, has always given the directive that, uh, you know, you really need to buy U.S. product. If you're going to use U.S. tax dollars, um, you know, that, that should go for American product. And, and these kind of laws have been on the books for a long time, but as is often the case, enforcement gets very, very lax. And um, particularly like in the school lunch program, Mike, there's just a lot of foreign product, again, with tax dollars being used to purchase that product. And uh, the, we're, we're happy with the executive order um, because it does call for a stricter enforcement uh, of these laws. I, I will tell you that uh, it was uh, similar to an executive order uh, issued by the previous administration, but we didn't see a lot of change uh, in those buying patterns. So it's our hope that this is a different one, uh, and we look forward to working with uh, uh, the Biden presidency to, to see some enforcement because, again, I think you, you, you don't uh, – you know, this is a, a bipartisan thing and a very partisan environment out here, but people would generally say on both sides of the aisles, if tax dollars are involved – you really ought to be buying products uh, produced and, and you know processed right here in the good old USA. Yeah, you, you would think that would have bipartisan support. And as you point out, enforcement is the key here. Will they follow through on it? Uh, you have released some interesting numbers, and I, they, these really stood out to me. I, I don't know that a lot of people maybe think about this, but the food served in a school lunch program, uh, you would – I, most of us probably think, hey, most of that probably comes from the U.S., but that's not always the case, is it? Well, and, and more and more, it's, it's less likely to be the case, uh, Mike. And, and, and again, I, I think if you surveyed uh, average Americans and certainly farmers out there and said, uh, guess what? We're using your tax dollars to buy, uh, you know, canned products from China or processed products from China or, you know, anywhere else for that matter, they would they would get irate in a hurry but yet that that is the the, the circumstance in today's school lunch program and and uh, again it doesn't have to be that way that's not really what the law says it ought to be um, and and I, I think we can get this one back on track yeah I mean here are some examples if you're if you're serving canned peaches in schools in Georgia and California our top two peach producing states and those canned peaches are coming from China, I think that you know that's a concern. And if and yeah. some more numbers that you put out, eighty-one percent of the apple juice served in school lunch programs is imported. Fifty to sixty yes. percent of the fish served in schools caught by Russian ships and processed in China. That's what we're talking about here. If if you switch that around to domestically produced uh, food products to go into our school lunch program, that can make quite a difference. It can make a big difference, and you know, just just think about that, Mike. Just you know, with the apple juice example, 
the United States is a massive apple-producing country. I mean, just massive. Every, every state you know, has apple production of some magnitude, and, and yet you know, to, to be importing a product of that, that quantity, um, it, it, it's, it's intolerable, really. So we need to get that fixed. It will be a big boost, uh, I think, for the farmers of this country um, because the government does, does buy a lot of commodities. And, of course, the school lunch program, when we get back to normal, I mean, that's, that's uh, oftentimes two meals a day for, you know, every school-age student across the country. Uh, so this, this is no small marketplace. It's a big marketplace, and it really ought to be one for U.S. farmers. We have seen some schools enter into agreements to purchase locally produced products, but that's not on a wide-scale basis yet, is it? It's not. Um, you know, there, that, there's some of that going on, and, and, you know, I think if you did a survey, Mike, of parents of those schools, they would all say, absolutely, we ought to be, you know, uh, buying as much of that as we can, but certainly it ought to be coming from the United States. It would be overwhelmingly supported, but when it gets right down to the rubber meeting the road, it doesn't happen that way, and that's what we're going to try and fix. Yeah, I mean, we see it a lot. I mean, uh, government officials make a big splash saying, we're going to do this, and then it doesn't get done. So hopefully this time uh, we're able to get it done. Talking with Chuck Connor, he's president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. All right, Chuck, let's go now to the immigration issue, which is a huge one in this country. Um, controversial, uh, a lot of division on this. Uh, we're going to look at it here as far as how it impacts the ag labor situation, which we know is a is a real challenge in this country. So we got some things being proposed. Uh, there's been the travel ban uh, for South African H-2A workers. Now we're hearing that they're going to be exempted. Ag laborers would be uh, laborers would be exempt on that, evidently. But these are huge issues. How do you see this playing out this time around? This immigration reform has been so elusive, we can't seem to come to any agreement on it. It has been elusive, Mike. You know, we, we've we've been trying to fix um, this problem for the better part of a decade. Um, we we were successful in the Senate, uh, the U.S. Senate, in 2013 couldn't get it through the House of Representatives in 2019. We were successful in the House of Representatives, couldn't get it through the Senate. You know, we're, we're, we're hoping and praying that uh, 2021 is the year where we might be able to get it through both bodies and, of course, on to the president to get fixed, because this remains a very, very big problem for American agriculture. We're not going to meet the future food needs and, and calorie needs of this planet uh, if we don't fix our labor problems here in this country, and, and uh, immigration is a key part of that. And I I know I talk about it a lot on this show. I have a lot of people like yourself on here talking about it, because I think a lot of people still don't understand we have a real ag labor shortage in this country, don't we? Tremendous shortage. Um, you know the the problem is twofold. Uh, you know there's a shortage, but even among the workers that are that are here, Mike, probably the biggest problem we face is that some estimate as much as 60% of those workers that are already here and and part of our labor force are are individuals who who may not have the proper documentation to be in this country, and you know that that's a large percent of your labor force to be uh, sort of vulnerable and and subject to 
you know, potential action at any one time. And, and you know, this, this just simply has to be fixed uh, going forward, as well as for our future labor needs. You know, we, we've got to fix this guest worker program where we bring folks in on a temporary basis from other countries to, to be involved in our food production because that system has just been broken for so long and it's so hard to navigate. You know, it's not going to be a dependable supplier for future labor needs for us unless we reform it. Got to got to find some middle ground on this. I mean, it's like one side seems to want to let everybody in. One side wants to let nobody in. But there's got to be some middle ground here, I would think. Well, that's exactly right. And 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 again, um, the core principle of our guest worker program is is you have to show and document very thoroughly that that you have a job available there that that U.S. workers will not do. Uh, and that's that's always been the, the key principle. That's a principle we propose to maintain. You know, we're not taking jobs away from somebody else here in the United States. These are jobs on our farms and ranches that, that Americans, you know, simply have proven time and time again that they will not perform. And, and we need those foreign guest workers to come in on a temporary basis to perform those functions in order to produce the feed that the food that feeds us and and uh, of course a lot of other people on the globe too jack i got a minute left it's a it's a complicated question but i need a real quick answer from you with all this push now on climate policy from an agricultural standpoint is this a threat or an opportunity I think it's an opportunity, Mike, but we are, you know, we're being cautious and and making sure we're analyzing it from both vantage points, but I think it is an opportunity at this point. We've been very clear that uh, American agriculture will participate in these climate negotiations, but it must be twofold. It must be science-based, and we've got to have programs that enhance farm income, not reach into the farmer's pocket. And we've been clear that the only way we will participate is if those two principles are, are being held up. And right now it looks like people are in a bipartisan agreement to, to hold those two principles. And if they do, uh, we're willing to sit down and talk about these things and talk about future uh, policy that uh, is climate friendly. Yeah, I think the key is it can be an opportunity, but uh, it's going to depend on which direction a lot of this policy takes. And we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully, they'll continue to listen to agriculture. So far, they seem to be inviting uh, input from agriculture, and I know that ag groups are in there like yours uh, uh, getting your message across. Chuck, good to talk with you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. You take care. You too. Chuck Connor, President, CEO of National Council Farmer Cooperatives. Um, looks like we're getting closer to confirmation hearings for Tom Vilsack. We'll talk about that and other issues with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report coming up next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. 
But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us now is Floyd Vergara. He is Director of State Governmental Affairs for the National Biodiesel Board. We've had a lot of discussion this week about where biodiesel fits into the push for climate policy and the changes that may be taking place with the new administration and the new Congress going in that direction. Carbon reduction is certainly a big area of emphasis. The state carbon reduction policies are just growing by leaps and bounds. Starting in 2009, you had a basically one state with a comprehensive economy-wide uh, carbon reduction target, and that was California. Five years afterwards, you had the Northeast, and then now you have about half of the country in terms of the state with comprehensive economy-wide carbon reduction goals. Those goals tend to be along the lines of 40% reduction by 2030 and 80% reduction by 2050. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. 
Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so much going on. We call in Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report to update some of the uh, key items in the news, including getting closer to confirmation uh, hearings for Tom Vilsack for Secretary of Agriculture. Jerry, what can you tell us? Well, the, the uh, hearing is scheduled to be held on Tuesday. Uh, now we're waiting for one thing, which is going to be the organizing resolution for the Senate, uh, and that hasn't uh, that still hasn't been announced. Uh, but Senator Debbie Stabenow, the incoming chair of the House of the Senate Agriculture Committee, said she believes the hearing will take place on 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 Tuesday. Now, Senate Ag has been in an odd position. For the other committees uh, in the Senate, they've been continued to operate by Republican chairs. But since Pat Roberts retired, there was no chair. And so that's uh, really why it's been so slow to set up a hearing for, uh, for Vilsack. Uh, but, Senator, but Senator Sabinow has set it for Tuesday with the cooperation of uh, Senator Boozman from Arkansas, the, who will be the ranking member. And she said she doesn't think that it will be a contentious hearing. She thinks it will be smooth for Vilsack. Now, we're also hearing from uh, incoming chairwoman of the Senate Ag Committee, Debbie Stabenow, that she wants to use climate legislation to put more money into conservation programs. What do we know about that? Yes, uh, she does. And now, for me, the interesting question is how, how she can try to do that before the next farm bill comes up. Uh, she says we can't really wait. There are problems. That we need to address these climate issues. She's particularly upset about the warming of the Great Lakes and the, the fact that the, that uh, cherry blossoms are coming out in uh, February in, in Michigan and then freezing again. I don't know exactly how the conservation legislation could address either one of those, but she wants to do it. And she is particularly pushing her growing solutions uh, solutions bill, uh, which would set up a website at USDA that would tell farmers how they can count carbon, uh, their own carbon sequestration reliably, and therefore be able to, uh, to sell this uh, or get credits uh, through the carbon markets that are developing. Uh, and uh, I notice that exchanges are becoming very interested in this, so I do think this is the wave of the future. Uh, the question is exactly how you do this with the with the uh, government process. Joe Biden, when he was campaigning, called for expanding the conservation stewardship program, and that's an area that Tom Vilsack has been very involved in in the past. Yes, I would expect that that they will that they will do this. Uh, uh, now, another issue we've got here is whether she could whether Vilsack uh, and USDA can use. 
the Commodity Credit Corporation for, to achieve some of these goals. Uh, the Farm Bureau has been calling for an increase in the amount of spending allowed by the CCC. It's now $30 billion, uh, and uh, Farm Bureau would like that increased with an inflation kicker in there. Uh, but, of course, Congress would have to do that. Senator Stabenow said she thinks that, that the uh, USDA can use the CCC uh, for some of these uh, climate-related proposals. Uh, but, of course, we would have to see what the lawyers have to say about that. Do you think there will be a push to reopen the farm bill uh, ahead of schedule? I know Senator Grassley and others have said, let's not do that. But do you think there'd be a push to do it? I don't think there'll be a push to, to formally reopen the farm bill. Uh, because the farm bill has so many complicated provisions that you would want a long period uh, to uh, to be able to see what what well what people care about what farmers care about what nutrition experts care about as the farm bill develops, but I think if, for example if they did budget reconciliation uh, which they're talking about and that would allow the Democrats to pass a bill without the involvement of the uh, Republicans uh, I think you could see more money in agriculture uh, in budget reconciliation but I don't yet know what the money would be for, probably for conservation in some way. It's obvious that climate policy is going to be front and center for this administration and this Congress, right? Yes. Uh, I think that it's, it's the organizing principle. Uh, and you know, as with so many things in Washington, when you, 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 can, see, you can do almost anything through, now through a climate lens. Uh, uh, and uh, one thing on which Sabinow has been very firm, and also Senator Boozman, is that they want this to be done uh, in agriculture. They want it to be done uh, on a voluntary basis, and basically they want the government to somehow transfer money to farmers to make, to make it possible for the farmers to institute uh, new provisions, new, new, take new actions that would be good for good good for climate. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so, while we're still waiting for Tom Vilsack to get confirmed as Ag Secretary, we're hearing more names for other positions at USDA. Uh, uh, well, yes. Well, of course, we have Joel Bra Jewel Brownell, the the, mm -hmm. the Virginia uh, 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 Agriculture Commissioner, who's already been formally nominated to be the Deputy Secretary. Senator Stabenow cited two undersecretary positions that she's particularly interested in. One is rural development. She wants somebody who's going to make uh, getting the Internet to the rest of rural America the number one priority. And secondly, she's interested in an undersecretary for trade who's going to be a big promoter of agricultural sales overseas. She, of course, cited the, the chaos that occurred in trade policy because of of President Trump's positions on China uh, and uh, talked about the importance of developing consistency in policy going forward. All right, Jerry, lots happening. Thanks a lot. We'll stay in touch. Appreciate it. All right. Good to talk to you and to your listeners. Take care. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, stay safe and have a great weekend. Hope you'll join us again coming up on Monday right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.
Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.